Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome in for another edition of the Lions 24-7 podcast. Sean Fitz, Tyler Donahue with you as we preview Penn State versus Minnesota. It's an 11 a.m. kickoff uh, in TCF Bank Stadium looking at mid-30s cloudy wind not being much of a factor so as much as you kind of circle this one as maybe you have to worry about a little bit of a a winter conditions it'll be kind of cold but it'll be clear and it looks like a good day for football number 17 minnesota number four penn state those rankings are based on the college football playoff rankings minnesota actually four spots down from their ap poll ranking of number 13 while penn state gets a one spot bump compared to the ap poll and as we discussed at length earlier this week Penn State is on the inside of that top four for the college football playoff picture. Minnesota behind six, two lost teams. Uh, They are unbeaten. They are the lowest ranked of seven unbeaten teams. And Sean, I'll be hitting uh, hitting the like not not the road, but I'll be hitting the skies tomorrow on Friday to, to get up to, to Minneapolis. My first trip up there will be James Franklin's first trip to this stadium as well. And while it does not sound like it is a sellout quite yet, somehow for Minnesota, uh, very much the biggest game in that stadium's history, and in, in terms of. Golden Gophers football history. This is up there with, with just about any game that that anyone can remember for them. Yeah, Penn State hasn't been out there since the Bill O'Brien era. I, I'll be honest with you, it's an underrated road trip. It's it was one of the favorites that I took uh, back a while ago before I had kids, and uh, just great people, great places to go. So if you're making the trip, you're I consider you lucky, and uh, it's a it, it's a good place to be. But yeah, huge atmosphere. Another one of those Super Bowl games. Penn State's played in a couple of them this year. Uh, you know, notably the one down in Maryland on the Friday night. So I expect a a really good atmosphere from the Minnesota faithful. Uh, we've had really good feedback from our uh, community thread. I, I, I saw um, some some trash talk going back and forth, uh, ruthless trash talk going back and forth uh, in that. It's been great. Um, we had Ryan Burns on the podcast earlier this week from Gopher Illustrated. I do suggest you check that out if you haven't yet. Uh, some people have called that the best guest that we've had to break down another team. He was fantastic. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's uh, all things pointing to a big showdown in Minneapolis. Minneapolis. Uh, that's bad. Uh, Minneapolis. And uh, it, it'll be fun to fun to watch. Yeah, quick couple podcasts coming your way in the second half of this week. If you missed the one on Wednesday, uh, I saw some people reaching out actually after that had already published. That dropped around lunchtime Wednesday, and that's where you can find the conversation with Ryan Burns. Sean spoke with him for you know, a solid 15, 20 minutes, getting to know more about Minnesota. We'll cover some more about the Gophers, obviously getting to some keys for Penn State. We'll offer up our predictions later here on the podcast. But, Sean, uh, this is Row the Boat versus 1-0. Uh, both of these uh, 
can seem cliche, but both of them are working as approaches for these programs and for these head coaches. James Franklin obviously uh, found success at Vanderbilt that has eluded that program for decades. Uh, carrying that on at Penn State, we've all been uh, witnessing what, what he has done with this program and where it has come uh, since his arrival. And then P.J. Fleck uh, did a hell of a job at, at Western Michigan, and, and he's doing it again at Minnesota. And these are two coaches that I think you said this on on the podcast last time, and, and we've heard it actually today from Matt Limegrover, Penn State's offensive line coach who worked with P.J. Fleck at Northern Illinois about a decade ago and, and has worked now with Franklin for four years a lot of comparisons between these two guys. Flex, nine years younger, 38 years old. Franklin, 47. But very much viewed as two of the rising stars in college football. And they're on a collision course this weekend. Yeah, they're very uh, quite a few parallels in their career. Anybody that you talk to outside sort of puts them in their own little category. Um, you know, CEO-type coaches sit back and let their assistants do their jobs. And they've done a good job of it. They've also, uh, you know, are, are very good recruiters. Very, you know, you don't want to call them rah rah guys because you know at the end of the day they're they're pretty good football coaches. But you know that's the, that's their reputation. That's what they've done so far so well. Both teams are eight and zero, and and really, I mean they've they've gotten there in a similar fashion in terms of getting guys to buy in. And this is something that I talked to Ryan about a little bit the other day. Is I'm so impressed with the way that flex teams sort of go out there and believe that they can win. Uh, we talked, we compared them to Maryland. Um, Maryland does not have that right now. Um, I'm not sure if that's coming with Mike Loxley, but these guys, you know, going back to when Fleck was at Western Michigan, these guys believe that they can win. The buy-in is there. Uh, they've got a winning mentality, even though Minnesota's not your traditional, uh, you know, your, I guess your traditional college football powerhouse. So, so impressed with how he's been able to to get his stuff in there. And it's funny because when you talk to the players or you talk to the media. A lot of that stuff, when they start it, the row the boats, the 1-0, comes off as hokey. We talked to Blake Gillikin last night about the 1-0 stuff, and he's like, yeah, that's kind of... It's kind of corny, but uh, yeah. they, they seem to have bought in. They've done a really good job with that. Same with Minnesota with the row of the boat and all the different hashtags and, and, and things that they do. So just so impressed with the job P.J. Fleck has been able to do. They've put themselves in a position to control their own destiny in the Big Ten West. They've got a you know a, a grinder of a schedule to go. And if you look back, I mean, let's be honest here. They're, they're 8-0. That, that schedule is going to be the first thing that pops up in every in, in everybody's mind. They've played Rutgers, Maryland, Purdue, of course, the, the – uh, you know that they battled injuries and Nebraska, who's obviously not what Nebraska, what people thought Nebraska would be. So you know the the schedule is kind of is what it is, but they've won every game in front of them. They've they they've sort of won games in different ways, similar to Penn State. Not as impressive, not as talented, but you know they're eight zero and in the college football playoff rankings. And if you said that to, to any Minnesota fan or any Penn State fan for, for that matter before the season, I think they, they they both would have taken it and really just really excited to see how this one turns out. I, I've done I've run the scenarios in my head and I just can't pin down how this game is going to go. Yeah, I've mentioned this a couple times on the podcast, but the last time Minnesota was 8-0, Pearl Harbor had not yet been attacked by the Japanese. Uh, They've only surpassed eight wins twice uh, in more than 60 years as a Big Ten member. Obviously, their next victory, even if it comes in a bowl game, will push them uh, beyond that mark. 2003 was the only year they won 10 games. Uh, so it's a it's a team that is within striking distance of a lot of goals. Um, I, I think Ryan mentioned this stat, but it's one that popped out to me while, while reading through some of the pregame notes. Um, the last time Minnesota scored 28 plus points in each of their first eight games was 1904. Um, of course, you remember the 146 to nothing win over Grinnell 
Sean in Week 8, uh, Captain Mose Strathern leading the way for Minnesota. Just off the top of my top of my head, uh, recalling that one. Uh, but but going back to some of the parallels with with James Franklin and and, and PJ Fleck. Now Franklin was 16 and 14 through 30 games before he took on Minnesota in Beaver Stadium. Saquon Barkley scoring the winning touchdown in overtime. Since then, Penn State James Franklin 37 and seven. Really quickly to go over kind of the reclamation job that that Fleck has done along the way for him. Uh, 10 and 13 to start at Minnesota. They are 10 and 0 since then, dating back to the end of 2018 won a bowl game and then he was 3 and 14 through his first 17 games at Western Michigan 27 and 8 after that that included a 13 and 0 run in 2016 they won the MAC championship they had a chance to finish inside the top 10 they ended up losing to Wisconsin by 8 points in the Cotton Bowl but uh, and again I, I don't think people really appreciate how devoid Vanderbilt's history is of, of winning seasons, much less winning nine games and, and winning bowl games and doing what James Franklin did there. There'll be a story up on, on lines 24 seven uh, by the time this podcast is live that, that I put together with some perspective on Fleck and, and Franklin and where they are among these rising stars in, in college football coaching and guys that you continue to hear their names mentioned. You know, as we said, Franklin half jokingly said, you guys should be asking PJ Fleck about these jobs because his name's uh, keeps popping up too. And then about an hour later, uh, we learned that that Minnesota has a confirmed uh, deal in place, seven year extension for PJ Fleck. So whenever your name's involved, it's usually good for you financially and your fortunes. And uh, whoever wins this game, you know, I think I think there's certainly a case to be made that that it would be a larger statement for Minnesota considering what their schedule looks like to this point. But, you know, Penn State, to, to go on the road here, cross this one off their list and come back 9-0 and with Indiana coming to town, um, you know, I, I, it's it, <laughs> nothing to sneeze at. I know people are going to buy into the Cinderella story with Minnesota, but Penn State, in, in its own right, and Kirk Herbstreit detailed this quite a bit on a conference call on Wednesday, they've rebuilt their brand in, in an accelerated fashion where you think about where they are at the end of this decade, I don't think a lot of people, myself included, who you know had never even been to Happy Valley when turmoil struck at the at the early stages of this decade. You didn't think they'd be where they are right now in a position to have three out of four years where you're winning double digit games. Uh, it's it's just it's pretty it's pretty remarkable that turnaround that 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 Franklin's been able to orchestrate. Um, and like you said, it's just two really good stories converging here in Minneapolis. And um, fortunately for one of these teams, the storybook is going to end a little bit uh, when they pick up their first loss. What's interesting about this week is it's, it, it can no longer be considered a trap game for Penn State. I mean, you, you looked at the season coming into it and you saw that three game stretch and that little lull between that three game stretch and Ohio State. And you thought, hey, Minnesota on the road, they might not be bad. We didn't think they'd be eight. No, but they've, uh, you know, they've obviously built themselves into, uh, you know, a contender in the Big Ten West. But I mean, you're not going to take anybody by surprise anymore. And I think that's something that, uh, you know, could change the outlook of this game. It's an 11 o'clock kick. I think people want to buy into the early kick sleepwalking thing maybe more than they should. I think it's an easy uh, excuse, an easy easy way to panic. Um, Penn State's been fine in noon kicks. I mean, you know, it, it, it's not been the starting time that's that's held back, uh, Penn State back in noon kicks before. So no trap game, uh, early kick kind of overrated, but I think Penn State... You know, to get into this, and we're going to get into our breakdown here a, bit late, a little bit later. I mean, if they can be the team that sets the tone uh, defensively, then th- that's going to take them a long way because Minnesota is not built the same way that they are. Minnesota is is not as talented as they are, is not as fast as they are. They've got some really good players. They've got, I think, what I would call a lot of elements of a good team 
I don't think they have it all, and I think Penn State is a more complete team, and we'll get to our predictions later, but spoiler, I think Penn State will win. You think Penn State will win. Uh, It's going to be a a really interesting flow to this game because Minnesota is going to try and dictate it and do what they can do, uh, run the ball, spread the clock out, get it into the third and fourth quarter where you keep it close, and then all of a sudden things go your way. You've got a shot at the end. Uh, Penn State's going to do everything they can to to stop that. Penn State's been really good to start games this year uh, in the first and second quarter. So that's something they need to continue that formula, continue get that out uh, to get that out there. And like I said, Minnesota at eight, no, they're not taking anybody by surprise, especially the number four team in the country. When when I look at this game, I feel like it almost replaces the uh, Michigan State in terms of uh, resume building win because Michigan State, unless they turn it around and, and based on what we saw a couple weeks ago up in East Lansing and, and kind of what they're looking at right now on their roster and their coaching staff, don't see that coming. Don't know about that uh, one. Yeah, but, but hey, Minnesota, you know, we didn't know this was going to be the case. You didn't know you were going to be going on the road to play an undefeated team, one of the seven left in college football. There will only be five at most unbeaten teams left in college football. Uh, shortly after Penn State, Minnesota wrapped things up in Minneapolis, Alabama, LSU, number two, number three in the in the college football playoff rankings. They will kick off in Tuscaloosa, so there will be some movement. Uh, Minnesota, they did not look like they were going to be in this spot, Sean, when, when you kind of assess them through September. They opened with a seven-point win over South Dakota State. That's a very quality FCS opponent, but it's still an FCS opponent. They needed two overtime sessions to beat Fresno State, a team that has a losing record right now. They had a three-point win over Georgia Southern, a seven-point win over Purdue, and that was the game in which the Boilermakers lost their quarterback, Elijah Sindelar. They lost their do-it-all playmaker, Rondell Moore, both of those early in the game. That was a seven-point win. October, though, more convincing, Sean. Average margin of victory, uh, more than four touchdowns against Illinois, Nebraska, Rutgers, Maryland. That is not Murderer's Row. We talked a lot about how October was was Penn State walking across the coals, and we'd see how they looked when they got to the other side. And, and obviously, they 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 passed a lot of tests along the way. This next month is that for, for Minnesota. Uh, but but October still, they did a nice job handling those matchups. They they got off the hot starts. Um, but let's face it, they they've played seven FBS programs right now. Only two of them have a winning record. Georgia Southern at five and three. Illinois at five and four. Yeah, they've done a tremendous job over October. And I think that comes to that mentality that I talked about earlier. They've really gone out there and, and said, hey, we're better than Illinois. We're better than Nebraska. We're better than Maryland. We're better than, than Rutgers. And, you know, some of that, you know, that's varying degrees of who you're better than. But if you believe that you're better than everybody, you go out, you impose your will. I mean, I'm, I'm looking at the, st- at the stats right now. There's not a ton of, uh, of quarters in which they are either scoreless or held to a field goal or anything like that. So they've been able to, to sort of space out their offense, get them where they need to go. And they're dominating teams. I mean, 40 to 17 against Illinois, who's not horrible. I mean, they're going to be a bold team, I think, uh, if, if, if some chips fall the right way, I believe. Um, Nebraska, 34 to 7, 42. Two to seven against Rutgers, and then fifty-two to ten against Maryland. Um, you know, those, those I hesitate to call them good wins because of who they're against. But you, you went out, and you took care of business, did what you had to do. So uh, impressed with that aspect of things. Um, you know, you've got uh, a couple of different stats here. I looked at what they did against Fresno, Georgia State, or excuse me, and then I'm the one that messed up the Georgia State. <laughs> um, I was on Tyler about that. He puts Georgia State in the rundown, and I told him make sure it's Southern because those people will come after you. Um, against Fresno, Georgia Southern, and Purdue, they gave up 13 sacks and 27 tackles for loss, and that's obviously alarming. 
Then in October against those four Big Ten teams, uh, they gave up one sack and 12 tackles for loss. That's that's a really good job of that offensive line turning things around. It's a really good job of that offensive coaching staff, uh, staff scheming to where they need to be. Now, they haven't seen a front four like Penn State. They haven't seen a front seven like Penn State. A lot of speed, a lot of power, a lot of all that kind of stuff. You know you've watched this team. But, I mean, that's, that's an impressive turnaround against some very scary numbers in September. I mean, just... Frankly, if you, if you told anybody that you gave up 13 sacks and 27 tackles for loss in a three-game stretch, you would not think this is an 8-0 team. But Minnesota's been able to turn that around, do a good job, and, and really that's the way that they do things. They set up their running game um, to, to control the clock. P.J. Fleck, as Ryan Burns said the other day, loves time of possession. Uh, obviously, a little bit different on the Penn State side. Time of possession matters when, when there's no points and there's no turnovers or, or, or things like that. But uh, you know, Penn State wants to hit these big plays and time of possession is not as valuable to them. It's the opposite for P.J. Fleck. It's the opposite for Minnesota. They're going to do all they can to, to, to aim or excuse me, to own this clock and just bleed this one out as long as they can. Well, P.J. Fleck already has uh, some, some new money in his pocket, but this is going to be major prove-it month for Minnesota. Uh, they face three ranked teams starting off this Saturday against Penn State. They've got number 18, Iowa, number 13, Wisconsin still upcoming. They will face a, a Northwestern team that, that should give them, I think, their their ninth win and push them into kind of you know very, very rare territory for their program in terms of win totals. But beyond that, uh, certainly no gimmies on that list. And, and uh, you know, I'm sure there's people out there that maybe expect Minnesota to lose all three of those games. Um, I'm not necessarily one of them, but uh, you know, let's start with with kind of breaking down Minnesota a bit more. Um, you know, Burns did a great job with that, uh, giving us his perspective from being there on the ground. But I think you got to start when talking about Minnesota with that wide receiver group um, because it was one of the first things James Franklin pointed out. Said uh, probably the best positional group they've seen um, at, at receiver through these nine games. Rashad Bateman, Tyler Johnson, Chris Ottman-Bell, 17 total touchdown catches through eight games. Johnson was an 1,100-yard guy last year. He's got a touchdown in four of the first five Big Ten games for them, over 100 yards twice. Ottman-Bell scored in the first three Big Ten games, and then Bateman went for 177 yards, two touchdowns versus Purdue. Uh, he scored a touchdown in each of the last couple games, and we're talking about three players here, Sean, that go six foot one, six foot two. Uh, they br- present some physicality to these matchups. Um, it's going to be an interesting test, that, and as we'll get to in a little while, uh, against a, a Penn State cornerbacks group that we're not completely sure on what we're going to see from them in Minneapolis. Yeah, these these receivers are very good. They'll go up and get the ball. They'll do some some different things. I think it's impressive. Twenty one yards of catch, or just about twenty one yards of catch for Bateman Johnson. There, just about fifteen yards of catch. Ottman Bell, about seventeen yards of catch. So it's not just your you know chip away and get things done. I mean, they they, they will go down the field. They'll do uh, a lot of the intermediate stuff and, and and probably frustrate you in that aspect of it. But yeah, this group is is very very good. They have every opportunity to go up and make the plays. And really, I mean, it's kind of uh, you know, similar to Penn State, and then they're going to put those receivers in a position to go up and get it, and go up and do what they do best, um, and they can make some plays. So I think when you're when you're taking uh, matchups into account, you talked about the corners at Penn State. John Reed looks good to go. We're not sure about Trent Gordon. Um, we mentioned that earlier this week in the podcast. He's been banged up. Do you go to Keaton Ellis and Marquise Wilson? Of course, three Castro Fields. You know, you expect to be in there. Um, but yeah, it's it's a thin corner group, and they've you know if, if you don't get that pass rush, if you don't get going if you don't get to uh, Tanner Morgan you're going to ask those guys to cover and really you can't stick with the with with anybody that long let alone this really good group of receivers from Minnesota 
Yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see. Who, you know, John Reed looks good to go, and and you know seems seems uh, happy and healthy on the practice field, and, and and we'll see what happens there. I do wonder about Joey Porter Jr. I don't know how far they want to press it with these true freshman cornerbacks in terms of games played. I think he's got one more until he would until he would hit that four game threshold uh, or or surpass it, I should say. So he's someone with his length. Uh, he kind of piques my interest because we're talking about a wide receiver group that 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 does have. Have uh, the ability to, to kind of go go up top and and extend and, and and beat some smaller players. So you know, Keaton Ellis, Marquise Wilson, gonna have to kind of have one of those grow up moments for them, grow up games, and and, and one way or the other. Um, and I think you know Minnesota's run game has provided some balance here, not to be overlooked. Now the key here is, and and we say this every week, no one's been running on Penn State. I, I mean, they are far and away the leader in rush defense. In the Big Ten, they're giving up 68 yards per game. Uh, next up on, on that is Wisconsin, 84 yards. So pretty significant uh, gap between Penn State and everybody else. But this is a Minnesota backfield that that has experience, that has guys who have played a lot of football for them. Roddy Smith is the program's all-time leader in all-purpose yards. He's third in the Big Ten right now with 889 rushing yards. Uh, they've got three running backs who have 40-plus touches, Sean. All of them are at 4.7 yards or more per carry. Muhammad Ibrahim, 1,100-yard rusher last year. I mean, they, they've got guys who, who have been heavily involved, and Shannon, Shannon Brooks himself had a 100-yard game against Illinois. So, uh, And by the way, Seth Green, someone who has had some success out of the Wildcat for them. Tanner Morgan, the quarterback, as we'll get to in a moment, been really impressive through the air. He is not uh, the kind of rushing threat that I think Penn State uh, fans are going to have to be biting their nails uh, and worry about him taking off downfield. It's also a reason why I think the pass rush is going to be so key because of the speed they can bring. And I don't know if Tanner Morgan has that ability to move around in the pocket or beyond the pocket. But you know, if Minnesota can scratch something together on the ground, unlike other teams have been able to do, it's going to be huge for them. Uh, but again, Penn State down a man here in defensive tackle Antonio Shelton serving a suspension. Uh, they have been extremely stout in that category through the first eight games. Yeah, until somebody really moves it on Penn State through the or on the ground. I mean, you, you kind of give them benefit of the doubt. Of course, uh, Minnesota presents more of a, you know, th- those guys up there up front are huge. I mean, just absolutely. I'm mean, a big guy and I'm thinking, man, if I were six, nine, four hundred and some pounds, uh, you know, it's just it, it's just unfathomable. But uh, no, it's uh, it'd be really interesting to see how they hold up. They could use Shelton. That's off the table. That's not uh, not an issue right now. A bunch of pressure on PJ Mustafer. I think this is a game that you know, like the Iowa game. Rob Windsor, excuse me, Rob Windsor could have some, some a, a real impact on this game. Um, you know, it's kind of that sense. Uh, it's the type of ball game that he wants to show himself out. You know, obviously he's a Wisconsin kid, Minnesota, right there. I'm sure he's going to have family in. Uh, you know, he's going to have family coming over for the game, but uh, he's going to have an opportunity to show out, and he's going to get plenty of snaps to do so. To me, uh, the running game is one thing, but the the pressure on Tanner Morgan, or at least getting around him, buzz him around him, uh, get him, knock him off his lines, knock uh, his sight lines off, uh, get your hands up, do some things. This Penn State pass rush doesn't have to sack him to 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 really uh, affect his presence in the pocket. Um, we haven't seen a ton from him in terms of making the plays and going out and doing it. I think he's got uh, fewer pass attempts than any other starter, full-time starter in the Big Ten. So they're really not making him win the game for them. Penn State's got to put it on his shoulders, go after him, make him have to, to deal with that. And I think they can do that. I think they've got the guys to uh, up front to do it. But I also think that Penn State can use its pass rush uh, from the second level. Those linebackers can get after it and get uh, get some hands up and go with it. 
maybe get a ball tipped here or there. Maybe that finds its way into Penn State's arms and, and goes, uh, you know, into one of Penn State defenders' arms and goes back the other way. So it'd be really interesting to see the run game. I, I you know, everybody says it's going to be such a major part of the game, and it will be because Minnesota will stick to that run. You know, if they're down two scores in the third quarter, they're still going to run the football. And it may seem like they're chipping away maybe like a Buffalo-type game where they run the ball a lot and they put up some yardage. But at the end of the game, you go back and you look and they put up 2.9 or 3 yards a carry. It may be something like that. I think that the key is going to be this uh, the pressure from the front four and what Penn State's able to do um, because if you you know if you can get pressure with those guys it's going to put your back seven uh, give them an advantage to sit back and, and try to cover and try to maybe confuse Morgan a little bit and, and and do some do some things back there so I think that's the key matchup to look for don't know that these uh, these big big linemen I know that they can you know fall on people I know that they can move some people because they're huge but don't know if they're quick enough to stick with guys like Shaka Tony I think Yitor Gross Matos can have an opportunity to make some plays and again Rob Windsor I think is going to be huge in this game yeah based on uh, entering the season Minnesota has the the largest uh, heftiest uh, offensive line on average in power in college football uh, entering the year. Now, I don't know if some other rosters have been shuffled lineups, but it's a big group, as we've said. I'm interested, though, to know because, look, size is great, but we've talked about the importance of recruiting offensive linemen who are limber, athletic, you know, the 260-pound high school kid who uh, uh, Rashid Walker is a great example who I don't think cracked 270 in high school and now he's you know comfortably you know what 320 315 and playing great football um you know, i think that's going to be interesting to counter what penn state does with their speed and and if they can establish the run and even though they're going to try especially early downs if they find themselves in obvious passing downs we know what penn state has really loved to do of late that's bring jason away and opposite of shaka tony attack you with speed off the perimeter and slide Yitor Grossmatos inside, whether he's next to Robert Windsor, PJ Mustafer, that tends to present a lot of issues for opponents. It did for Michigan State. And I think if Minnesota, you know, does stick to the run, uh, it could be to their detriment if it's not working because then you're setting up the stage for, for Penn State to, to kind of bring that kind of pressure and, and with that group and something that I'll be keeping an eye on because because I do think uh, a guy like Jason Oway, Adiza Isaac, uh, could be heavily involved here in, in this game on, on the edge, Sean. Um, when we look at this group as well, quarterback spots interesting because last year was one of the really interesting stories of the of the season I thought going in was Minnesota naming a true freshman walk-on quarterback as its starter um, now Zach Anikstead has since dealt with uh, injuries he ended up being out for much of the second half of last year Tanner Morgan got to play Tanner Morgan uh, got the starting job this year because of another injury um, so you know 12 and 2 as a starter for Morgan this year 65% completion 1700 yards 18 touchdowns 4 interceptions he has not been a threat on the ground uh, like we've seen Sean Clifford be, but he has been very steady. 12 touchdowns, two interceptions in Big Ten action, and a guy who, who like I've like I've commonly went to with Sean Clifford as a first-year full-time starter quarterback, you know, protecting the ball has been key for him. I think that's the thing for any young quarterback, and you can you can draw a lot of parallels between Tanner Morgan and Sean Clifford in the way that they've been, or what they've been asked to do, and the way that they've handled that. So, really interested to see him in a big game situation. I mean, it's a it's a little bit different for Clifford. I think he's played in you know a little, with a little bit more pressure on his shoulders. Um, you know, it, it's different playing with for the number four team in the country with the the expectation of being undefeated and playing for Minnesota with you know number seventeen with the expectation of being undefeated. But still, I mean, uh, Tanner Morgan's at home. 
Sean Clifford's on the road. Sean Clifford's been very good at times on the road. Also, he started the Iowa game. You can't really get that one out of your memory the way that he started against the Hawkeyes. Um, but no, they, I think they're both going to be able to, to protect the football. I think it's going to come down to uh, a lot more of the, uh, and James Franklin said this on, on Wednesday night when we talked to him, setting up the field position, setting up the, uh, you know, the, the, those hidden yardage totals. And Blake Gillikin has, has been really good at it. Minnesota, on the other hand, not so much. No, special teams, not, not necessarily a strong suit for this squad. I think Ryan, Ryan used a, a more, more colorful language to describe that, that group. Uh, I think with Morgan, uh, you know, I, you make a great point because Sean Clifford has gotten his feet wet in, in these situations. Say what you will about the way Maryland's team showed up. That environment was pretty good in College Park. Uh, you know, it, it was, it was kind of, you know, they put a lot of eggs in their basket, uh, for the Maryland Terps in that contest. And Sean Clifford and, and that squad shut them up real fast and, and sent them to the exit doors he's obviously gone to play another night game at Kinnick another night game uh for the whiteout against Michigan and then he played uh you know in, in really sloppy conditions on the road at Michigan State and and while their offense was was really non-existent for most of that game the Spartans defense uh, did have some strong moments especially in that first half um so you know Clifford has, has clearly been tested more but you know Tanner Morgan you like that 12 and 2 record for him but much like this Minnesota team at large the bigger tests now await in November and we're going to get start to learn more by the way Sean Clifford number two in the Big Ten, Sean, with 8.9 yards per pass attempt. Tanner Morgan's number one, 10.2 yards per pass attempt. A lot of trust in those wide receivers willing to get it up. And you mentioned, I mean, it makes sense. It correlates with those wide receiver reception averages as well. Defensively, Minnesota, you know, they, they coaching staff changes has have paid off for them. Uh, and, and obviously, not really an impressive September uh, in terms of allowing points, but uh, really able to, to, to hold down teams in, in October. Not the very best of the bunch uh, for the Big Ten. And, uh, but when you look at this group, it starts the conversation with Antoine Winfield, the son of a, a former Ohio State star. Many view him as as one of the you know truly great uh, defensive performers uh, out of the Big Ten in, in recent decades. And, and his son leads the conference right now with five interceptions. Uh, he's up there in, in team tackles, uh, and he's he's a guy that that James Franklin said he has a man crush on. Yeah, he's uh, he's been able to get his hands on the football and be a game changer for them. This defense, I guess, from from top to bottom, I, I don't think it's a defense that really scares you. Um, they're giving up twenty points a game, but it, again, they have buckled down over the last month against Big Ten competition. Um, really, just looking at the numbers, really nothing really jumps out at you. Um, the eleven interceptions, uh, maybe. Um, is something that uh, you know you don't really see Sean Clifford turning the ball over, but at the same time, I mean these guys have been able to get their hands on the ball and do some good things. Um, now a little bit of that comes down to the the competition that they've played, um, but yeah, I mean they they look like a pretty solid defense who have improved. As you said, they made some adjustments uh, with the coaches earlier in the season. It's really paid off, and you know they they've put themselves where they want to be. I mean you you want that Minnesota defense on the field, and I think that's you know we'll get into the Penn State keys here after the break, but uh, it's. Uh, it's it's a really I think it's a good matchup for Penn State. You you've got the talent edge, you've got the the aggressive edge. They think that I, I think Minnesota believes that they can attack Penn State's offensive line uh, as a defense. Uh, maybe not out talent them or out man you know, but but you can throw numbers at them. Get Sean Clifford thinking, get, get him moving through those progressions, get him off of that primary read to KJ Hamler, and if that happens, I think they think that they can you know bait him into an interception and make him turn the ball over. I'll handle the jab this time around. More than a quarter of those 11 interceptions on the season 
came courtesy of the Rutgers Scarlet Knights uh, during their matchup earlier in October. Um, when we look at this team, too, uh, the sack totals, I think you, you said there's not a lot of stats that stand out. I think maybe on a negative term for Minnesota, they got one player, Carter Coughlin, who's who's gone over three sacks, and that's three and a half sacks. So everyone else is, is, is two and a half, two or less. And, uh, you know, I, I think we've seen it when Sean Clifford is not flustered and, and not getting hit and not getting rushed. I mean, he, he has been pretty good when he's been given time um, to, to kind of survey the field and, and find the open man. So we'll see what happens there. I just I think that's a that's potentially a problem spot for Minnesota is generating a pass rush of their own. While that that may be conversely a, a strong suit for the Penn State defense. One more note on Tanner Morgan: he has faced uh, five Big Ten defenses so far. They are five of the bottom six defenses in terms of scoring defense in the conference. So this is a notable jump as Penn State has certainly proven uh, to live up to those elite expectations that they encountered in the preseason. We'll come back with our predictions, some other keys to the game for Penn State. First, a quick word from our advertisers. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. All right, prediction time in just a moment, but first a few more keys for Penn State as they make this trip up to Minneapolis. Sean, you referenced this earlier. Both of these teams have been exceptional at, at getting the early momentum and getting the ball rolling downhill for the other team. Uh, they've been able to pour it on early, uh, have been some lapses on both ends, letting those games get a little bit closer. But I think it is such a key. If Penn State can even come close to coming out as sharp as they were from their first bye week against Maryland, and that starts with Sean Clifford offensively, uh, they're going to be in a good spot because I think you go on the road here, uh, a, a crowd that's going to be fired up, no doubt about it. Uh, they are further along than Maryland was on the hype train, no doubt about that either. But I think Penn State's in a spot here where a sharp start again. Uh, I don't think it's going to be something like a twenty-one nothing lead that they have established the first four of, of four of the first five Big Ten matchups, but. You know, if it's something you know, seventeen to seven in the second quarter, where you're giving yourself a two-score cushion early, especially the way Minnesota likes to run the ball, uh, I think that that's that's the uh, the initial key for me. Don't usually say this, but I think the coin toss is going to be very very interesting because I think Minnesota wants their offense on the field first, but also Penn State wants their defense on the field first. So it, it it'll be interesting to see. Who gets that? What kind of matchup they try to do? Minnesota's obviously going to come out and try to to ride that wave of energy coming out of the out of the tunnel. Penn State's obviously going to try and stop that, and they want the the ball in the second half, no doubt. Um, so it'll be really interesting to see which way that goes. I think the early momentum is huge. Minnesota, if you get the ball, you got to extend that uh, drive. They're they're about fifty percent third down, by the way, uh, on the season. Now I know some of those stats have been padded against uh, lesser teams, but 
Penn State's got to get off the field on defense, come right back to it. Um, just one-on-one matchups, uh, those receivers against these corners. We talked about it plenty on the podcast already, but Penn State's corners need to step up. I think Penn State's safeties need to step up, coming over the top, doing what they need to do, uh, maybe get their hands on the ball, uh, keep your hands off of those receivers. These Penn State uh, corners and D-backs have been, uh, I guess, prone to to picking up some flags for, for getting a little handsy and, and grabby in, on the route. Um, inside, the you're going to miss Antonio Shelton, no doubt about that. And that's uh, something we've talked about a bunch. Um, nothing really you can do about it. I'll be interested to see what the snap numbers look like at the end of the game. We're going to see a ton of Rob Windsor. You're going to see a bunch of P.J. Mustafer. But if Penn State is able to knock Minnesota off schedule on early downs, maybe get a tackle for loss here or a sack on second down or something like that, you're going to see Mustafer maybe come out of the game, slide down Yitor Grosmatos, and, and Penn State maybe try and go after them. Um, I do think that the, the Penn State still can be susceptible to the screen game. I'm not sure how much Minnesota really does that, but I, I think it's possible. I think it could pop up again on Saturday. And the pass rush to me. I mean, that's the big thing for for Penn State is to if you get them off schedule, keep going after Tanner Morgan, make him make adjustments, make him really uh, you know have to make those plays that win the game. And if if Penn State can get to the quarterback, maybe not even bring him down, just get to him, make him uncomfortable, get back there in his grill, uh, excuse me, in his face. I, I slipped there for a second, uh, and then you're going to be able to 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 give your your defense a chance to get a takeaway here and there. The pass rush is the key to unravel this Minnesota offense, which is playing with a lot of momentum in its own right. And I think maybe this is a game where you you see, with a bye week to work with, see some more pressure from that linebacker group. Really curious to see what what we'll see from Micah Parsons. 26 total tackles the past couple of weeks. It seems to be really finding his stride and, and, and reaching another gear in his college football career. Really curious to see if he's going to make one of those momentum-changing, game-changing plays. Saw him almost pull down an interception against Michigan State. I think you're looking to see is Michael Parsons going to go out there and force a turnover, maybe get the ball like he's been asking to do, and do something with it on defense. Maybe, but I think two second-year defensive linemen have a chance to shine. P.J. Mustafer, as you went over, and then Jason Oway again. I think last time we saw him, he was the Big Ten uh, Freshman of the Week against Michigan State. He's a guy that it's all about connecting the mental to the physical, and he's starting to do that. I think that was a boost for him to, to be able to put it in the box score. We'll see what he has uh, for an encore. And then on the ground game, don't know what we're going to see, if Noah Kane's going to be involved, how much, how often. And if he is not, I do wonder if maybe this is a game where Devin Ford reminds people, hey, I'm a pretty good freshman running back too, because he may have some uh, opportunities. I do think the way this offensive line has performed, especially the last three games, Sean, this is a game that looking at the Minnesota defensive front, they should be able to go out there and have their way noticeably. And I think that means you know, Penn State would be smart if that's how it's rolling. You know, Get that ground game involved a lot. I know they've they've based a lot on their passing game to set the stage for everything else. Uh, it'll be interesting if, the, if Noah Kane's not available or not 100% how they'll go about doing that. But it's a four-back rotation. I think you can find a way with the way this offensive line is playing. I think that you can also work a little bit more RPO into it. I think that Penn State's had some success with that. I, th- I still feel that Minnesota is going to bring numbers and try and get that offensive line sort of out of sorts. I mean, you don't have to, uh, you know, you, you can bring seven against five and then all of a sudden you're, you're in trouble. If you can RPO, if you can get those guys on their heels, you can go right over the over the line to Pat Fryermuth. He's been able to, to, to have some success with that, had a touchdown against Michigan State like that. So be really interested to see how uh, the elements of RPO, how much that comes into play this week. 
week. On top of that, I don't know that we've mentioned KJ Hamler, and I don't think there's going to oh, be— Oh, that guy. Yeah, the, the, I, this guy needs to be accounted for. If you're Minnesota, needs to be accounted for on every play. That's offense and special teams. I think he can, you know, he can be a factor on offense, as we know that he can. But on special teams, I think he can take it to another level this week. Penn State's got to, you know, keep their hands in and, and not draw another one of those flags. I'm sure he's frustrated with two, uh, a kick and a punt taken back in the last uh, last two games that have been called back for, for penalties. Minnesota doesn't have anybody that can stick with, with K.J. Hamler one-on-one. It's kind of like a, a Maryland situation where if you see one-on-one coverage with him or if you know somebody's in, in, in cover zero coming after the quarterback on a third down, you got to get it to K.J. I think they throw to K.J. a lot. I think he has another big game. And we know by now Sean Clifford not shy about targeting K.J. Hamler. Prediction time, Sean. I'll go right into it. I'm going 31-21 Penn State over Minnesota, improving to 9-0. I think Sean Clifford will be better than Tanner Morgan, and, and I'll call my shot here. I don't know if it'll be KJ, maybe a block punt, maybe something. Special teams touchdown for Penn State along the way. There you go. And and by the way, we, we mentioned special teams. Blake Gillikin's been fantastic, and he's going to be a big part of this game as well. I'm kind of right there with you. I have 28-19. Not really sure how they get to 19, but their special teams are bad, so maybe that, that that's something that you can see. Um, no, I, I think Penn State uh, has the talent advantage. They're going to have to weather the storm early, get a little bit of momentum. If they get a, hey, if they get an early score or two, this could be a this could be a really good game for Penn State. But I have Penn State by nine. Uh, I can see this playing out a couple of different ways, but I still like the the talent advantage. And like I said, this is not a trap game anymore. Penn State knows what they're up against. We'll see where it goes from there. And our colleague, Mark Brennan, goes 27-13, Penn State taking it. The average of the line's 24-7 predictions, 31-18, Penn State. And Vegas has the Nittany Lions as a seven-point favorite heading to Minneapolis. Uh, I'll join you, along with Mark Brennan, from breakfast in the press box. 11 a.m. kickoff in Minneapolis, uh, noon on the East Coast. And fortunately, Sean, we'll be recording our post-game pod far earlier than we've been accustomed to of late. Uh, so looking forward to bringing you the post-game pod. Any final thoughts? thoughts Sean before we, uh, we get into this uh, ninth game of the 2019 season not really we just talked yesterday so that's uh, that's been about <laughs> it I'm, I am looking forward to doing a post game or excuse me a podcast when it's lightish out um, I know it'll be probably five-ish around here and, and of course that's dark this time of year but now I'm uh, excited to see what the day game brings by the way Ohio State a noon kick that's a very good thing for Penn State we'll probably get into that next week or, or in two weeks uh, anybody that's mad about that I, I don't know what to tell you um, I know it's fun to tailgate and all that stuff, but that's that's probably a best case scenario for Penn State. But Minnesota's on the forecast right now. Um, speaking of the forecast, about forty and cloudy. I don't know. It's fine. It's it, it's a, a, an overrated aspect of this game as well. Um, but I'm really looking forward to see what Penn State does. A lot of it's gonna be a little adversity in their way. A big game at Minnesota it should be fun to watch. Exciting time to be a Nittany Lions fan. Team that is. Every possibility on the table in November. Not many programs can say that right now. Very few, in fact, can. And as you mentioned, maybe another battle of the unbeatens. One that very much would feel like a playoff game and really kind of feel like a de facto Big Ten championship in some ways against Ohio State set for that noon kickoff in a couple of weeks. But I think it's best that we end this episode of the Lions 24-7 podcast uh, on behalf of Sean Fitz. And with a nod to James Franklin, with this. Minnesota, 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 Minnesota. You get the point.
can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app.